Kansas anymore. Are you ready? No, I'm just getting warmed up. This task was appointed to you. I said I want the truth! I say we take off and nuke the entire site from Dodge that. Hello and welcome back to the BBFC podcast. After the most difficult start to the year, which saw us spending almost all of our time at home, here at the BBFC, we've been keeping our eyes on the lockdown roadmap and awaiting news that cinemas can finally reopen. From the 17th of May, the first step of the lockdown roadmap comes into effect in England. This means that amongst various other activities, indoor entertainment venues like cinemas and theatres can reopen. In other words, the big screen is back. Today, I'm joined by Wallace and Johnny, who you might remember from our PG Halloween podcast. Welcome. Hi, Megan. Hi, Megan. Uh, We'll be chatting about what's to come on the big screen this month, how we classified the films coming out of cinemas now, and what films we're most looking forward to watching. We've got, I think, three big dates in May. So on the 17th, we've got Nomadland, The Courier, Sound of Metal, Those Who Wish Me Dead, and Spiral from the Book of Saw. And then on the 21st of May, we've got Peter Rabbit 2. And on the 28th of May, we've got Cruella and The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Out of those ones, which are you guys most looking forward to watching? Peter Rabbit 2, probably for me, I think. Love a bit of Beatrix Potter and well-dressed rabbits. And I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the first one. So yeah, I think, I think that's up there for me. What about you, Johnny? We've seen quite a lot of those films already between us. Mm. Um, so let me mention something that's not on that list, which is Censor. Censor is of particular interest to people working at the BBFC because it's about a fictional classification body and it's a horror film. And, and we're all going to be very excited to see that. Definitely. I think the director, Prado, she came to the BBFC when she was doing her research. So keep your eyes peeled because we might have a special on the podcast about Censor when it comes out. So, Johnny, that's one that you'll be uh, looking forward to. Very much. And Megan, can I say as well that I'm so happy that we've got to, we got here finally to the stage where the cinemas are opening again. And can I mention two particular cinemas? The McRobert Centre at Stirling University. It's about 10 minutes walk from where I grew up. Mm. And I've seen that films there as a boy and as a man used to 18s. My old dad took me to see one film in particular there when I was 10, which I'm sure is the reason I'm at the BBSC now. Um, so thank you to the mighty McRobert. And, and the other one is the new picture house. It's in St Andrews in the Kingdom of Fife. And it opened in 1930, and I'm absolutely sure the members of my family have been going there ever since. Wow. So just to take a few short years in particular there, I saw Goldeneye and Scream and Goodwill Hunting and Titanic. The, the, the first time I saw the Phantom Menace poster with, with Darth Vader's shadow was in the foyer of the new picture house. So both of those places especially, but to all cinemas in general, Thank you. I, I hope you're all right. And Wallace and me and Megan and everyone at the BBFC, and I'm sure everyone listening, we've missed you and we're so excited for you today. Absolutely. That, that makes me think, Wallace, do you have a cinema that is memorable to you or that you went to quite a lot when you were younger? Um, there, there was only so many cinemas in Stoke, Stoke-on-Trent. There used to be the ABC uh, I think it was called, and I remember going there with my 
dad. I think I saw, I can remember seeing The Grinch one Christmas, which was uh, very nice. And it had sort of old, old red seats. It's no longer there, unfortunately. I think it's a, I'm not sure what it is now. Maybe it's a Tesco, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, and I remember you brought up The Phantom Menace, Johnny, and I remember seeing that in a town hall in Longton, actually, uh, which is local to, to where I grew up. And they used to, yeah, they used to do film, film days there and sort of put like little plastic seats out, which were not the most comfortable. But I didn't really notice that because um, I was absorbed in the film. But yeah, Rich, I share your enthusiasm, Johnny, for cinemas reopening. I'm really excited for cinemas reopening and I'm so glad we could finally do this podcast after so long of us just waiting at home. And I think many people share your sentiments. So we did recent research which shows that 92% of teens say they're planning on returning to the cinema once they open. And 9 in 10 of them, so 88%, said they felt safe heading back to the cinema. So, I mean... There's appetite. People are so excited to give us a cinema, but is there anything that people need to know about measures to keep safe in cinema? I think it's important to say that, you know, you can check your local cinema website when you're booking your tickets. And I'm sure they've got all of their kind of information up on their website for that. I think a lot of venues will require you to wear a mask throughout the film, but maybe not when eating and drinking. That might be quite difficult. And exhibitors will be taking extra care to ensure that cinemas are cleaned regularly and disinfected between screenings and also that their employees are wearing sort of appropriate PPE as well. There might also be reduced ticketing to do with sort of keeping up social distancing inside so it's always worth kind of booking your tickets in advance especially for some of the big the big names that we've mentioned so you don't miss out. Yeah, and with 92% of teens saying they want to go back to the cinema when they open, you might have to book in advance because I'm sure they're going to be absolutely packed. (laughs) In today's podcast, we've talked about all the films that are going to be out, but we're really going to be honing in on some of the more family-friendly options. And so we're going to be talking about Peter Rabbit, Cruella, Godzilla vs. Kong, and Nomadland. We'll start with... Peter Rabbit 2 and I'm sure this is one that lots of parents will be familiar with and that lots of kids are just so excited to see. It's a comedy adventure about our famous mischievous rabbit who falls in with a gang of criminal animals who are plotting a heist. We rated it U for mild comic violence, very mild threats and rude humour. Johnny, can you tell me a little bit more about how we classified this film? Sure. So uh, the BBFC has rated dozens and dozens of Peter Rabbit films and TV shows over the years. And they've all been rated U, except the film that this is a sequel to, Peter Rabbit 1, which was a PG for both threat and violence. And one of the things, if you remember, of course, that we had to consider very carefully in that film was a moment when the rabbits throw fruit at Mr. McGregor, who is allergic to them. There's nothing like that in the sequel. We rated it U, which means that any child over four should be fine with the film. The issues that you will see on the black card in the cinema, Megan, it's actually happening, um, are mild comic violence. It opens with a wedding brawl, for instance. Now, if you're eagle-eyed, you'll notice that we describe the violence as mild rather than very mild, which would be the norm at U. And that's because... There is a little detail to the violence. For instance, in the opening few minutes, there's a slow motion kick to the face 
but it's from a rabbit to a human and all of the violence is purely comic and silly the, the second issue we mentioned is very mild threat so there are chase sequences the animals are in danger at times but not for very long and everything resolves quickly in a, a completely reassuring way and the last thing we mentioned on the black card very mild rude humor listeners it is my very solemn duty to tell you that in this film there may be jokes about bottoms bodily functions perhaps but they really are of the very mildest sort it's a film about a children's author and of course it takes characters from the great children's author beatrix potter and can i tell you megan a, a fact that i marvel at i mean almost on a daily basis yes oh. absolutely this is an obsession of mine it, it's that this country is on the most incredible run of children's authors it's, it's unlike anything anywhere else in the world that i know of yeah in any field of creativity but i think i think we almost take it for granted like it's as if after the beatles there were then more beatles for a hundred years that's the equivalent so lewis carroll and alice um, Robert Louis Stevenson, P.L. Travers and Mary Poppins, A.A. Milne and Pooh, Beatrix Potter herself, Dodie Smith, who invented the great Cruella de Vil, who Wallace is going to talk about in a second, Enid Blyton, the great professors, Tolkien and Lewis, into Roald Dahl, whose name is probably on more films than all of the others put together. And, you know, these are names that are on some of the biggest and best loved films in history. And then, Roald Dahl dies in 1990 and it looks like this, this great run has come to an end. But in that exact year, on a train to King's Cross, J.K. Rowling thinks up Harry Potter and becomes the most successful of them all. I mean, not just of that list, but the biggest author in any genre of all time. It's absolutely staggering. Listeners, we need a successor to this list. So if you've got an idea for a children's book, then absolutely write it because it might as well be you coming next. Absolutely. With this film, to go back to Peter Rabbit 2, is there anything parents need to know with this kind of film or would they expect it to be quite tame in comparison to the first film? I think, I, yes, I think it's, it's, it, it's much in line with, with the first film, but if anything, a, a, little, more, a little lighter in, in terms of the threat and violence. It, yeah. it, it sounds, um, when you read the synopsis, like it's going to be not a U-rated film with criminal animals who are plotting a heist. It sounds like it's one for Netflix, like a new true crime documentary. It's, <laughs> it does follow a heist, Megan, you're right, but everything is cushioned in purely comic tones and every parent will know their own child. Okay, well, talking about criminal animals who are plotting a heist, I think that kind of edges us very nicely onto another criminal that haunted my dreams as a child. But Wallace, we'll start talking about Cruella. Now, this one is coming out a bit later in cinemas, so it's coming out on the 28th of May. And unlike the 101 Dalmatians, this one packs a bit more of a punch in terms of tone. So it tells the backstory of one of Disney's most notorious baddies, Cruella. She's an ambitious and inspiring fashion designer who, as we all know, will go on to become a dangerous criminal obsessed with Dalmatian furs. So Wallace, how did we classify Cruella? 
So, Megan, this film received our 12A age rating with a short ratings info of moderate threat. So how does this version of Cruella measure up to her past versions? Because I think a lot of people will be quite surprised that this one would be a 12A compared to her previous films. Absolutely. As many of our listeners are probably already familiar with, Cruella de Vil was first seen in Disney's 1961 animated classic, 101 Dalmatians, and then this was later followed by a live-action film of the same name in 1996 with the marvellous Glenn Close as Cruella. And she's Cruella's such a fabulously villainous character in both of those incarnations. She's, she's egotistical, she's funny, she's committed to getting what she wants regardless of, of what she must do to get it. But this makes for very enjoyable scenes in both films and particularly Glenn Close, she sort of brings out a lot of sort of campy elements of the character and she really exaggerates those in, in some of the best ways, I think. So particularly at the junior categories, important considerations that we always make when it comes to tone is to what extent the material presents a disturbing or perhaps unsettling worldview. And so with these two versions, they, they were both rated at U. But Cruella's is, as you say, Megan, very different tonally. And that's what contributed to the 12A classification. While there is still comedy, so Emma Stone does bring a a certain comedic elements to to her portrayal this does feel feel slightly darker and a little bit foreboding in some in some senses so in this version we see Cruella's journey from a, a young orphaned misfit uh, and she gets bullied at school some of which we we see and she becomes a rising star in the fashion industry and and her villainy and more naughty characteristics slowly start to reveal themselves and the film gives time to these events over a childhood and ultimately what brings what shapes her as a person and I think in a way they try to humanize the character which is interesting I think it's quite significant that we're seeing Cruella as a star of her own story though for the first time whereas before she was an important part of those stories but you were seeing them from the perspective of the dogs and their owners whereas this one is very much about Cruella and the sort of naughty person that she becomes. So leading on from this, I also think perhaps a noticeable difference for me is the rather aggressive Dalmatian dogs in the film featured in Cruella. So unlike the previous versions where we've got quite lovable spotty pups, you know, everywhere, which is sort of adorable. This version, we've got Baroness, who is the villain in this particular incarnation. Uh, her Dalmatians are very badly behaved. You know, and we often see them sort of snarling and gnashing their teeth at people. And in some some scenes, we see them chase and lunge at people. And um, so I think that was also a big difference for me. So yes, the very very sort of different to the previous versions. Yeah, which might surprise viewers. That's so interesting because I was looking at, we've got the Rated trailer on our website, which I definitely check out if you're looking for an activity to do. You can have a go at guessing what age rate you think it is. In the scene, there's a picture of the dogs and they're all on a chain and they look quite menacing. And I was like, this is really strange because one thing I was going to ask you was, there's an increasing trend of having the baddies backstory, right? So there's Maleficent, obviously, which is a very popular film about the villain from Sleeping Beauty. But it's, and I was going to ask, like, seeing them as more human, does that decrease their impact as a villain? But this sounds like it's almost turned that on its head. Is that, is that the case? I think, the, I think there is an element of sort of humanising her. 
And I also wondered the extent to which Emma Stone, so we're seeing a sort of younger Cruella, you know, how much that might impact how, how younger people are you know maybe interested in in her character i really enjoy emma stone as an actress i think she's a very good actress so i'm quite excited to see her in a more villainous role because she tends to not really venture into that area um, unless i'm wrong a lot of the films i've seen of her she's she's not necessarily played a evil or villainous character so i presume it's quite strange to see her in in this kind of role yeah it's quite a stark contrast to la la land i have to mm. say um <laughs> I don't think we see her dancing, Cruella. It's a very different role for her. And watching the trailer, there were flames and, you know, there were weapons and it seemed to be quite an intense film just from looking at the trailer. So is there any scenes in particular that parents should be on the lookout for if they're perhaps going to take any of their younger children to the cinema? Yeah, so I think a notable scene in the film, particularly from a compliance perspective, is a sequence in which... The Baroness character, played by Emma Thompson, orders her sort of henchmen to tie Cruella up in her apartment, her flat, and they sort of, they gag her and and then they set the place on fire, basically. And we can see Cruella struggling amid these flames that you, that you suggested, Megan, that appear, that do appear in the trailer. And this is quite a sustained sense of threat that goes on. And it's, we found it a little too much to reconcile with our guidelines at PG, which state that frightening sequences or situations where characters are in danger should not be prolonged or intense. And the sort of the lack of anything kind of fantastical or comical in this sequence, it really sort of added that darker tone to this particular incarnation of Cruella. And it's something, yeah, it's definitely something that we considered more moderate. And that's, and that's why we, we flagged it. Uh, in our short ratings info mm. but yeah as you say there's there's also we've got sort of scenes of criminality as well we see Cruella with her two sort of lovable stooges Horace and Jasper and they're sometimes sort of hot wiring cars and, and looting stores you know running away from police that sort of thing and we do see some some weaponry as well there's like there's a sequence which features a sort of hairpin which is kind of extracted in a rather intentional manner I was going to say that I don't have any criticisms of 101 Dalmatians, the Disney film is, but if you did have one criticism of it, it might be that you can't possibly believe that Anita and Cruella de Vil were ever friends. I mean, <laughs> Cruella is just, she's so obviously evil. Mm. And in this film, I think we get, we, we sort of see, see the humanity behind Cruella and we, and we, we see why her henchmen are so loyal to her. And and we come to like her ourselves, I think. Don't we, Wallace? I think we do. Yeah, I would, I would agree there, Johnny. Does that likability mean that you prefer her Cruella? Wh which version of Cruella do you prefer the most? I just loved Glenn Close in the live action. It's something that I've watched over and over again and will continue to do so just because she's so fabulously mean <laughs> yeah she's mean but she looks fabulous doing it and sort of animal cruelty aside yeah she's fabulous and what about you johnny who is your favorite iteration of cruella well i do think the original is the best but i, I would say that if if you're if you're a parent and you're worried that cruella in this film might be using a cigarette holder or 
harvesting dogs for fur, then you don't have anything to worry about. Fantastic. I think that just about covers Cruella. Thank you very much. <laughs> the next film we'll be chatting about is Godzilla vs Kong, which lots of people have been waiting to see. Interestingly, this film is actually available to watch online and in cinemas, which is a bit of a running trend, but I think it's one that's made for the big screen, really. And it's the latest in the monster franchise that lots of you will be familiar with. So, Johnny, can you tell me a little bit more about the film and what audiences can expect? Yes, I mean, as, as you say, um, Megan and Hass has been said off and over the, over the last few weeks, if ever there were a film that's crying out for the big screen, then it's Godzilla versus Kong. And Wallace has seen it on the big screen uh, because she examined the cinema release and, and it, it just wouldn't be possible to accurately gauge the likely impact on younger audiences without the scale that cinema brings. I've only seen it on the small screen like you, Megan. Uh, I mean, I say only, but what, what, what would we have done with that home entertainment over the last year or so? But I've read Wallace's report on the film. Godzilla and King Kong, of course, the great national monsters of, of the US and Japan, slugging it out in a battle on the outcome of which the future of humanity depends. It's maybe worth saying that it's a rematch. There was a 1962 Japanese film out of Toho Studios, King Kong versus Godzilla. Kong got the first billing in that title, but I won't tell you who won. Now, that 1962 film was originally an X, but we last rated it PG in 2005. And interestingly, I think the examiner used quite an interesting phrase. Uh, she said it was more fun than fear. I think that applies to this 2021 version also. It's more fun than fear. It's quite intense at times. That's certainly true. It's a proper slugfest. The monsters do inflict some injury on each other. So it, we rated it 12A for moderate fantasy violence threat. So if you're a parent thinking about taking children under the age of 12, have a look at the detailed ratings info on our website or app, and then you'll be able to tell better than we can whether, whether they'll be up for it. So monster films have got quite a long history at the BBFC, and we've classified lots and lots of different monster films, specifically in this franchise as well. What kind of precedent do we have for classifying these kind of monster films? Does the fact that they're monsters really mitigate the impact? Yes, I think it does. I mean, as you know, Megan, we ask 10,000 cinema girls about issues every five years and they consistently tell us that it's real world terrors that they worry about most on film. And when it comes to um, threat and violence between two imaginary monsters, they're a bit more relaxed. And the last year has been bad, but until the point where there are actual monsters rampaging through the streets, then people expect us to be a bit more lenient in our classification of films like Godzilla vs. Kong. I mean, if you think of Cloverfield, that's uh, 15, another great monster movie. And there the threat, again, is, is largely fantastical, but it's a very different film to Godzilla vs. Kong. It's, it's bleaker, it feels much more like a horror film. The threat is directed at humans more than in this film. 
there's realistic bloodshed and and so the fantastical element there wasn't considered enough to bring it down to 12a that's interesting talking about the tone in monster films and the impact that has because i think a lot of our followers and people on twitter seem to think find the difference between fantasy and tone well if it's a monster then you can't really apply it to real life but i think the tone has such an impact doesn't it like the way it makes you feel and the horror that you feel when you watch it and aside from the the violence and the kind of action which i think is the main reason people are watching this kind of film for the action scenes one thing that i found quite interesting is that there's a cut off use of strong language in the film how do we classify implied language at 12a because the swear word isn't said but it's very much implied yes it is i mean i mean to be clear that there's a line that is i think something like what the f-? and and with a line like that we have to make a judgment on how identifiable the following word is if for instance they mouth a word and and you can see it being formed on their lips then that would be identifiable to some extent but here there's no sense of that you don't know for sure what word the character is going to say and for that reason it's implied strong language rather than just strong language interesting thank you very much johnny now we'll finally move on to the oscar winning nomadland which is a us drama in which a woman starts a new life on the road in the american midwest after the economic collapse of her town so wallace how do we classify the film so Nomadland is classified at 12A for suicide references in frequent moderate bad language. And the long ratings info suggests kind of emotional upset, especially with the suicide references. How comfortably does this film sit at 12A and what do parents need to know before watching it with their teenagers? I think it's important to know that the film does deal with some tricky themes. So we see the protagonist, Fern, who is travelling around in a camper van after the death of her husband and sort of her sense of, we see her sense of restlessness as she she moves from place to place. And we sometimes see her struggling to find work. We see her struggling to to fix her van, which is obviously serves as both her home and a, a means of transport in the film. And we also see her having to say goodbye to friends that she's met, that she won't see for long periods of time. And also like attention with her family who are very much sort of rooted to one place and perhaps sort of struggle to understand why she lives the life that she does. So yeah, there's quite a few tricky themes that it deals with, but it's important to say that the film, even though there are these kind of darker moments that we see, and as you mentioned, Megan, you know, there are some some references to, to suicide. We felt that these were handled in a manner that is appropriate for, for teens, you know, and, and the film does have heartwarming moments. We, we do see Fern very much engrossed in, in a community of people who, who are like-minded and who appreciate the same things as her. And although she might not always have that, you know, those moments in her life do make her want to carry on living how she does. I was part of the team who classified this. And at the time it did, for me, bring out feelings of, of isolation and loneliness that perhaps were very li- much linked to the pandemic at the time. And sort of, yeah, not, not living the life that, that I'm used to, not, not seeing people as much and not having that same interaction face to face with people. I think it did bring, bring out those feelings for me. And so in, in some senses that, that was a little un, unsettling. 
But at the same time, I do think it's important to say that, you know, at 12A, we like to see darker moments sort of balanced out with lighter ones. And, and this film does offer that. And as always, it's important to sort of check our long ratings info for, for a bit more detail on, on what, what can be expected. And I'm sure, as every parent knows, you know, they'll know their, their child and, and what their child may or may not want to see. And I mean, I guess these kind of films that touch on the themes of kind of emotional upset or that touch on these themes are probably quite good ones to have conversations with your kids about and kind of open those conversations. And a lot of our research says that, you know, these films can facilitate conversations around loneliness, uh, which is perhaps quite relevant around this time, especially as some people are still kind of feeling the effects of lockdown. So what, yeah. what kind of conversations can this film encourage between parents and their teens? So I think what I took away from the film in particular is how it shows that a sense of home sort of looks and feels differently to everyone. So for some, it might mean a particular place. So it might mean a sort of house or, a, or an apartment in a particular city or part of the world. But for others, it, it home could mean a sort of community of like-minded people. It might be who you're spending your time with, not necessarily sort of where you're spending your time. And so I think the film can open up conversations which are quite important between parents and teens about how a fixed address is not necessarily what home means for, for some people. And I think it shines a light on communities that young people might not yet be aware of themselves. They might not be aware of sort of the traveller and Roma communities that do exist. And also people who might not want to live at a fixed address. So yeah, I think I think that's that's quite positive in a way. And it perhaps also introduces teens to certain hardships that people face in our contemporary world. So, you know, it deals with kind of short term contracts in sort of big companies, you know, economic collapse that sort of destroys people's way of life, environmental change as well, that, that all, all these things might might make sort of living trickier for some people more than others. Yeah, I guess the, some of those are quite heady issues, but I think in this film they are handled in a manner that is appropriate for younger, you know, younger people. It can lead to some interesting conversations. And did it inspire you to go and live on the road, Wallace? Now, I think I can identify with a feeling of restlessness from time to time, Megan, but I don't deal with the cold too well, so I'm not sure that I am cut out for it. Maybe somewhere hot I could think about going on the road but I am one for home comforts, so maybe not. You'd need a TV where you could watch lots of films and Absolutely. TV. <laughs> maybe, maybe that would encourage me to, to become a nomad. And what about you, Johnny? Would you ever take to the road? I don't think I would. I don't think I would, Megan. I think I'm too fond of my home comforts. But one, one thing that's maybe interesting to note about Nomadland is um, this is a, a discrepancy between our classification system and those of other countries. In this case, the US, who rated Nomadland R. And the reason they cite for that was the nudity. Now, we don't even mention the nudity in our short ratings info. Wallace, of course, mentions it in the, in the longer ratings info. But audiences tell us that they're relaxed about nudity where it's in a natural circumstance. In this case, it's uh, the main character having a bath in a lake. And so it wasn't a, a classification category defining classification consideration for us. That reminds me of um, Emma, 
which was classified you last year for natural nudity and it was a scene where he was just changing so I guess there's precedent for us classifying scenes in that context at even the very junior category which is a quite stark disparity to our US counterparts. And I think um, audiences were caused some bafflement initially when they saw the black card and saw natural nudity and wondered what natural nudity was but literally it's just nudity in a natural context as opposed to a sexual one. That's really interesting and I always think it's so interesting to look at all the ways that people classify differently across the different countries. Well I think that nicely rounds up our podcast so thank you so much to both of you for joining me. If you have any questions or would like to chat to us more about the podcast please do drop us a message on Twitter at BBFC, Facebook or our Instagram. You should also check out our app, which is full of cinema times and trailers so that you can choose a film that's right for you and your family. We're also going to be launching a brand new newsletter for parents, which will be full of the latest trailer ratings, guides and our activities for families. And you can sign up now on our website. We hope you're looking forward to heading back to the cinema on the 17th and we'll see you at the movies.